from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, September 9th, the year 2019. It is 9-9-19, and it is the start of another FedEx Cup season. A military tribute at the Greenbrier is the event. You will see that coverage Thursday, Friday, 2 to 6 on Golf Channel. Saturday, Sunday, 3 to 6 on Golf Channel. It is all part of the season-long race for the, the FedEx Cup. And to preview another season, and I say this with a straight face, although I want to laugh, it's Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? Uh, how was your off-season? Tell the folks out there what you did. You know, it was a long three, four months. How did you spend it? Uh, I went to the beach one weekend. That was nice. And uh, I watched football. And that's and some tennis. And my kids went back to school. So it was a good off-season. That's good. Are you refreshed? And what have you been working on in the off-season? Because everybody, whether you're a player or a writer... Um, an, an, an official, a volunteer, everybody at these events has to use the off-season to get better. What did you focus on in your off-season? Uh, rehabilitation, just rest and rehabilitation. Sometimes you just need some time away, you need to recharge the batteries, put the priorities in order, and, uh, and, and do that kind of thing before you focus on golf for another 11 and a half months in a row. Um, all right, so now with a completely... Smirk, uh, so that's enough of those jokes. Now we'll get serious. It's been a long two weeks. Um, and here we are. It's the start of a new year and uh, the, the, the start of a new FedEx Cup. Before we get to looking back and seeing how this new format worked and all of that to end 2018-19, let me just ask you something. Is this week Victor Hovland's event to lose? And I say that you know half-jokingly, but I feel like of all the guys who are coming off of the Corn Ferry Tour, here's somebody who nearly got his PGA Tour card. Some think the rules should be changed for non-members to help people like him who did not earn points that they got as an amateur. He doesn't make it, goes into the finals, earns it, and then skips the Corn Ferry Tour championship so that he can get two weeks off of rest to come into this stretch starting with the Greenbrier. To me, there's a lot of guys you can look at in this field and say they're rested or they're on form. A guy like Chris Baker, who just had this huge emotional win to get himself to the PGA Tour for the first time. Um, You can look at 10,000 different ways of breaking this down. But for me, I like what these guys were able to do by taking a week off and top of that list, obviously, is is Victor Hovland. Yeah, I think he did the right thing in, in taking that week off. He knew he had a card. Uh, there would have to kind of be a, a very bizarre scenario where he would fall really out of the top five or six in the top 25. And if you're in that range, you have great priority ranking for the first reshuffle or until the first reshuffle. So that gets you through the fall pretty handily. And he had been playing a lot of golf trying to get his PGA Tour card. So I think he did the right thing taking that rest. I, I think that there are two guys that stand out this week uh, at Greenbrier as the younger guys who maybe you want to look at. And I, Hovland has got to be number one, right? I mean, he's got the most attention. 
He played brilliantly on the PGA Tour. He has apparently a knack for closing on Sundays that yes. uh, can only be rivaled by some of the, the game's greatest backdoor top ten artists. Hmm. And you also have to look at Scotty Scheffler, who dominated on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, got himself nearly to a three-win promotion. Uh, him with, and Robbie Shelton, I mean, were, were brilliant this year. I think those are probably the two guys who played the best on the regular season web.com is where the people are going to be familiar with. But I think Scheffler is going to be the bigger stud. I think he will be a better golfer on the PGA Tour than he was on the Corn Ferry Tour. And he showed the moxie in the Texas Open earlier this year in April when he got a start, got a nod because of his connection, obviously, in Texas, and played great. I think he's, he and Hovland are ready to win this week. Uh, and I think of the other you know, guys that got through the, the Corn Ferry Tour or the finals as the younger guys, not PGA Tour veterans who got their cards back. I think those two guys stand out. And then Matt Neesmith will be interesting. He's kind of inconsistent. Christopher Ventura is really interesting from Norway, another Norwegian guy, bombs the ball just like Hovland does, but is way more inconsistent. Sprinkled in a bunch of MCs and then had two wins on the season. So uh, I'm curious to try to figure out which of the guys who got to the Corn Ferry either regular season or the finals is those younger guys, the guys that are just good, aggressive scorers who handle the different style of golf in the Corn Ferry Tour really well, or whether you're a player who's actually more built for PGA Tour style golf, where there is some measure of a penalty for missing it off the tee, where there the setups are a little bit more difficult and a little bit more exacting. Uh, are you able to play that kind of slightly more patient style of golf, uh, especially when the courses get a little bit firmer? And I think Scheffler and Hovland are those two guys who have been able to prove it so far. Don't forget about Doug Gim, by the way, um, yep. who really showed something when he had to make that eight-footer on Sunday on, on uh, Labor Day Monday Sorry to get his tour card and did so and showed a ton of emotion. And Scotty Scheffler, remember, is totally exempt in a different category than everybody else uh, through his great play all year and thus has a ticket to the players and a bunch of other stuff that comes with that. Um, That's something to look at. And for a guy, you want to talk about having pressure in your first start out? That's Tom Lewis. Tom Lewis wins the Corn Ferry Tour Championship, gets his PGA Tour card, convinced by his management to come over, and now suddenly is faced with trying to play two tours, look to Justin Rose for advice on how to do this, and if he can get a high finish here and, you know, first, second, third, and get himself 300, 200, 150 FedEx Cup points straight out of the gate, that could be huge for a guy that needs to binge early if he wants any chance of trying to do this two-tour thing. It's an interesting point. Um, I mean, he's got this awkward opportunity, is the best way I can put it. Yeah. That he does have a chance to play both tours. And if you're a top 50 player in the world, it's really not that difficult because you're going to get into WGCs, you're going to get into the majors. You can, with decent finishes and all of those, pretty well secure your PGA Tour and European Tour card by playing all of them, even though they don't necessarily count to your membership status on the European tour. But if you're Lewis, you're not in the top 50. You're, you're not there yet. I mean, you, you've got to be a guy that's been in the hundreds, maybe 200s throughout your, your European tour career. And now you have to figure out a way to play like a rookie on the PGA tour, which you are, but also still maintain your European tour status at a time of year, by the way, when the European tour is most powerful, has its best tournaments 
and its biggest purses other than the Desert Swing. You're going to have the BMW PGA Championship next week. Then you've got the French Open, which is a prestigious event, even though the money, the purse has gone down. And then you're not that far away from the three-event final series, although it's not called anymore, where the first-place payouts are outrageously large compared to the actual purses. It's like $2 million, $2.5 million, and $5 million to the winner of the final three events. And then they pay down accordingly after that. So Tom Lewis is going to have to go play at least one, if not two or three of those tournaments because the money's just too good to not do it. So he's got to figure out a way to basically punish himself and play a lot of golf in the next eight or nine weeks. And half of it's going to have to be on the PGA Tour at a minimum. And he's going to have to pick his spots on the European Tour and see where he can bring himself to in the race to Dubai in the, the end of their season. Uh, two things which you've brought up which I find interesting. Number one, that whole thing about Tom Lewis. Uh, he got to 63rd after winning the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. He now is 61st. He didn't play last week, but just because of the math, he's now 61st. So he's inching up there. He was in the 80s when he won the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. <coughs> Excuse me, but there was a dearth of golf that week. It got him elevated um, into that, which was a huge benefit that won't get talked about a lot. But if he ends up in the top 50 on New Year's Eve, you can thank the Corn Ferry Tour Championship for partially why that is. So he's inching closer, and one good finish could do that. And number two, you talked before about the difference between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour, and I still go back to this quote from Tiger. Last year, Players' Championship Tuesday press conference was asked by Kevin Priestley, who does such a good job covering the Corn Ferry Tour for PGATour.com, about... You know what? Uh, his question was, "What? What do you think it says about the Corn Ferry Tour and being able to foster these guys to come to the PGA Tour level and and step up and succeed?" And he goes through the whole thing about a season long, blah blah blah. Um, you know, one of the things that Brandon, referring to Brandon Harkins and I, were talking about on Sunday. This is one of the myriad of Corn Ferry Tour players and grads Tiger played with in 2018. We're talking about on Sunday was he had a philosophy on going into the year that he was going to be aggressive, playing as aggressively as he possibly could on every tee shot. If it was between driver and three would hit driver, just trying to be aggressive and trying to make as many birdies as possible. And that's how he played the whole year, which is very different than sometimes on some events out here on the PGA Tour where you have to grind out. Sorry, grind it out and try to make pars. That tour is catered to birdies. I think it teaches the guys how to be more aggressive. And when they come out here, they have to play in our tour. And then all of a sudden, they're ready to make birdies. They're, they are uh, ready to play aggressively and take on flags and take on the challenges that it, that, that it presents them for. I think that at a higher success rate than going through Q school and getting out here directly on tour. That quote from Tiger for me stands out. I think his eyes were opened these last two seasons about how big the Wolves and the Morikawas and the Burnses and the Hovlands have been success-wise coming off both college and the Corn Ferry Tour. It is really the ability to play aggressively and have that mindset when they get out and start playing for real on the PGA Tour. And in some tournaments, it directly translates. And I think it actually worked out really well for Wolf Morikawa and Hovland to have turned pro at a time when the PGA Tour schedule was steering them to events where 20, 25 under par was going to be a winning score because that's the kind of golf you play in college. And 
that's the kind of golf you play on the Corn Ferry Tour. And that's frankly the kind of golf these guys are taught to play is fired every pin, but do it smart. And the, the advent of more high-level analytics providers that help up-and-coming players realize there is a difference between firing at every flag and firing at the right place to get to a flag. Uh, they're aware of that better than ever uh, coming out of college. So these guys play extremely aggressively off the tee because there is literally no reason not to. And then they know how to accurately work their game to the course they're playing, and it just so happens that it comes at a time where there really was no penalty on the schedule for not for going at flag, for going for birdies and eagles. So my hope is... Uh, moving forward with the, the new PGA Tour schedule, and a lot of these guys will probably choose to turn pro after the U.S. Open, that you still have that portion of the schedule where you can kind of make up a little bit of ground and have a chance. I know Hovland didn't get all the way there, but he still had some really good Sundays, had some good finishes, and, and Morikawa, and, and we'll see with victory. Um, moving forward, I, I think that I think that there's, and kind of Adam Scott put this well at the BMW, you can't make a course long enough and challenging enough for yeah. us with just length. And the Corn Ferry Tour has proven that a couple of different times. The TPC Colorado event this year, where they played well, like an 8,000 yard course, obviously at elevation, but an 8,000 yard course was nothing for them. Um, and that's going to continue to be the case with the PGA Tour. But the, what the PGA Tour can do and should still try to do is make it more difficult to score on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour. And some weeks this year, and, and frankly, it's going to happen every year, it just wasn't the case. And, and, and remember two things. Number one, the events that Wolf and Morikawa won were an event played on a TPC in Minnesota. First year as a PGA Tour event, they were a little cautious with the setup, and just TPC courses in general tend to get... Um, chewed up by these guys. And number two, Morikawa won, won uh, the uh, uh, Barracuda Championship, Reno Tahoe, with the modified Stableford scoring system. If there's anything that's built for for using that kind of aggressive play you see in college and on the Corn Ferry Tour, it is a modified Stableford scoring system event. So yeah. that's that. I think Tiger understands that the guys who come out aggressively can throttle it back a little bit. The ones that are successful know when and when not to be aggressive, but they've got that built into their game. And it's not the other way around where you're, you're growing up playing a conservative style of golf, and then you've got to learn to be aggressive. Um, there, are, there are plenty of good players who are like that. We, we had one at our club who got to the Corn Ferry Tour, then the Web.com Tour and just couldn't keep up because he was a grinder. He, he qualified for two U.S. Open while he was playing on the, the Web.com Tour and did pretty well in them both. But when he went back to the Corn Ferry Tour, it didn't buy him anything. Mm. The winning scores are 20 and 25 under par, and there's no rough and there's no penalty for being aggressive. So yeah. it's, it's a weird thing where you have to prove yourself, even if you go past the Corn Ferry Tour, go back to... PGA Tour Canada, PGA Tour Latino America, PGA Tour China. The winning scores in those tournaments are absurdly low even compared to the Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, Taylor Pendrith was, what, 28 under with a pair of 62s to win on the Canadian Tour over the weekend. And that was, like, every weekend. So it, it, to get to the PGA Tour, you almost have to be super aggressive and slightly less aggressive than slightly less aggressive. 
And it seems like that's kind of backward in my mind, but it does seem to be the kind of way you have to get there. And um, and also, you know, and, and Amanda ba- and sorry, and Amanda Balionis says this every week when she goes through those those highlights. Those guys on all those tours do go low every week. And number two, I do think that some of these guys are going to be helped by that USGA rule change that you keep your exemption for being a U.S. amateur finalist or semifinalist and in, in, into the U.S. Open. And can keep that what, even after you turn pro. I think that rule change is going to help a lot of these guys go through NCAAs, immediately turn pro, and be able to keep their status all the way through. Or if they don't make the NCAAs turn pro earlier, get those exemptions and start building up. I, I think it's really going to make a difference um, for those guys. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. But it is fascinating. That Tiger Cool, I, I, I just keep going back to it because I just think it's. It, it says it all about where the game is right now. Let's go back to the previous season-long race for the FedEx Cup. Everybody said, let's judge this new system at the Tour Championship with proud partners, Coca-Cola and Southern Company, before we judge, uh, before we have a verdict over what went down at Eastlake. We ended up with Brooks and Rory. We ended up with Rory writing a whole bunch of wrongs from what's gone on recently with him. Um, on a on a day and on a, a stretch of playoff events where where uh, Brooks Kepka just did not have it. Um, what was your thoughts on how all this ended up in the playoffs? I think that the format was better. I like the Tour Championship format more. I think more people got it. Uh, there was no whiteboarding. There was no calculation. It was here's who's going to win the money, and here's the, who's not going to win the money. And I like that because not only is it easier for the fan, but as I've mentioned a couple of other times before, in the 12 prior years of the FedEx Cup, with the exception of the first two when Tiger and BJ literally just had to finish the tournament to win the FedEx Cup, you really, half the guys who won didn't know they had won the FedEx Cup when they won it. They had an inkling, but they didn't really know. And so they were really playing for the Tour Championship purse, which is still big money, don't get me wrong, but it's not FedEx Cup winner money. And so for Rory and Brooks and anyone who's trying to track down the win, Xander, you knew you were playing for $15 million. And I don't care who you are or how much you're worth, that makes you think a little bit differently. And so to see Rory get through it, Make up for last year's huge disappointment, all kinds of different Sunday problems, a lackluster major year. Uh, I think that was a pretty cool thing. And just to see the reaction, I, I mean, obviously it wasn't Tiger winning last year, but a lot of people love watching Rory McIlroy succeed. And the, the crowd in Atlanta got behind him, which was a good crowd, by the way. I thought that was very nice. Yeah. Uh, and then for to have three really good players around him, in the mix was important to have Justin Thomas, the number one seed, the guy who got the 10 under start to have him in there, despite not playing that great. I think that kind of validated the advantage he was given uh, to have Xander in there. who was kind of this big game hunter who just tracked down majors and big tournaments. And then to have Brooks, who's clearly the world number one in there. That was a perfect storm. So it, it, it made the format look good. Inevitably, there's going to be a year where, Justin Thomas is going to do what Patrick Cantlay did and just tank and be horrible and it's going to look bad. But 
you're also going to have a year where someone like Jason Kokrak, who started even and finished, I believe, T14 in the end, who made a, a lot of money over the course of the week, is going to do even better. And he's going to, someone like that and that rank that low is going to win the non-handicap tournament, you know, for the, the world ranking points, and they're still going to finish like six shots back. And you're going to scratch your head and go, well, why is that the case? It just so happened to work out that Rory won net and gross this year, and I don't think that's going to happen every year. There are going to eventually be situations lead to complaining, but I like this format better than the, the reset of points that they did from 2009 to last year. And if we're not going to get a real, true playoff, this is probably the best outcome. And I agree with you um, in the sense that this is a great way to decide the FedEx Cup. The players did not like the 4.1, 4 plus 1, not 4.1. Now, that would be interesting. You play four rounds and then point one of another round, and that decides it. That would be interesting. Um, the 4 plus 1 option, if the players rejected it, then there's nothing the PGA Tour can do. Um, to, to me, what still gets me is that... And, and I was talking about this with somebody, and maybe you have some source information on this and, and can enlighten us. You've got Coca-Cola and Southern Company that have poured a whole lot of money into the Tour Championship. They've become second fiddle to FedEx, to, to FedEx. Their big highlight of the week for Southern Company, it's the Payne Stewart Award, which I know means a lot to them. And for... Coke and Southern Company, it's having the back nine on Sunday be commercial free. And yet there's this shadow secret second leaderboard because the tour got desperate and wanted to appease the official World Golf ranking people. And that was how they were going to make amends for it. And my whole point is if you're going to have a shadow second leaderboard, why can't we just make it official? Why can't you have a shadow leaderboard? It's real. It gets de-emphasized on TV. It gets de-emphasized for the players. I don't know how you wind up deciding a tie. We had that whole joke going on on Twitter for two weeks because nobody, literally, Jeff Shackelford and Bob Harrick had both talked to the tour and literally none of them, none of them to my knowledge, knew what the, what the scenario was going to be. Doug Ferguson reported that it was going to be first and second combined the official World Golf ranking points, and that's how they were going to do it, or, or you know, this, the same way they uh, 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 do FedEx Cup point ties. But the fact that we didn't know what was going to happen if the real event, in, uh, sorry, if the shadow leaderboard ended up in a tie, yes, that's an issue if you're going to have a real second leaderboard, but why not just make it official? Why does it have to be in the shadows and be on social media only? I, I, and then you have Rory tell Steve Sands, I was just trying to win the regular golf tournament, and I thought if I did that, I would win the big thing. That, to me, just put the PGA Tour on notice that if that's what the players are still thinking, why is this secret? It makes no sense to me. So do you have any insight on this? Well, I think Rory talked about trying to win the tournament as a tournament because he knew where he was. He probably figured, I've only got to overcome a handful of strokes over four rounds. That's not much. I mean, anybody that's within six really had a chance. Right. Uh, which gives you about half the field, right? I mean, that's, that's about half. So, well, a third. That's a third of the field. 
So you had a good chance walking into it if you took Rory's approach. If you're Jason Kokrak, like, I got to shoot 20 under to have a chance. Um, that's a different ball game. And I think the problem I have, first of all, with this, this event should not award world ranking points. It, it never should have. It should not moving forward. I, that, I will state that outright. But since it's grandfathered into it, there's a problem in having two events. Because if you try to win the actual 72 holes, you still could come up way short of winning the $15 million, which frankly is way more important than winning the world ranking point. Because if you get to the tour championship, you're automatically in three majors. Right. You're ostensibly in the fourth. So you're in everything else. There's no reason to play to win the world ranking point. Can I, uh, um, if you don't mind me stopping right there, the tour championship used to give out a three-year exemption. So think about it if you're Jason Kokrak. Rory wins the FedEx Cup. If you're Jason Kokrak, who has been a journeyman his whole career, is getting close to his first PGA Tour win but isn't there yet, that's a game changer. Sure, yeah, I agree with you. But if you're just handing out world ranking points, I don't care. If you're handing out additional status, you know, three extra years, yeah, definitely matters. But for for Rory, he's going to get another five on top of his infinity that he has. doesn't mean anything. So if you're just handing out points, I don't understand why we're doing this because there's no motivation to just win that tournament unless you're the rare player that wrote a hot playoff to get into here and with that win, maybe you do. I mean, there are, what, two top 50 guys, three top 50 guys, non-top 50 guys in the field, right? So for those guys, if they win the 72 holes, they're assured a spot in the top 50, and their life gets even easier, even though it was made easy by getting into right. the championship. Yeah. Okay, that, that's cool. That's hard to fall out of the top 50 once you get in it. So there's, there's some benefit to that. But my feeling is you're playing two completely different tournaments depending on where you are in the leaderboard. If you're Rory, if you're in the top third of the field, yeah, you can try to win both because that's possible. But if you're in the bottom two-thirds, it's almost impossible. I mean, no no player has really ever come back from, what, nine after 18 holes to win. So if you're in the bottom third of the field, it's impossible for you to win both. It's just not going to happen probably unless the craziest set of circumstances ever happened. Paul Laurie. <laughs> right, yeah, Paul Laurie, Bill Haas, you know, Bill Haas was 25, that's it. Yeah. Everything had to go his way to even have a chance, and even then when he won the playoff, he didn't know he had won the FedEx Cup. Yeah. Now you do, right? So if you are trying to win the 72-hole tournament, it just depends on where you start, and that's why I don't understand how you can give out world ranking points, because you're not playing the same 72-hole tournament. You are playing two very different tournaments, and I just don't see how they can justify handing out a boatload of world ranking points to the winner of this event, especially if you started at 10 under, 8 under, 7, 6, 5, whatever you start at. That just seems unfair to me. So this is, this is my take on it, which is the PGA Tour got really lucky that Tiger's back flared up at the Northern Trust, because it prevented the nightmare scenario, which is Rory wins the FedEx Cup and Tiger wins the 72-hole event, 
and Tiger gets his 82nd win and it doesn't count. That, to me, would have been so awkward and the nightmare, the, the, the most ultimate of nightmare events for the PGA Tour. Because every Tiger win could be his last. Sure. His Masters win could be his last. And I know this is a, a, a unique scenario, but if you're Jason Kokrak, if you're Harold Varner, still looking for your first PGA Tour win, and you have a great 72 holes with everybody starting and even, which is the way that system is working right now for the world ranking points with that secret shadow leaderboard, to me, you deserve the official win for that and all the benefits that come with it. And if that's the nightmare scenario for the PGA Tour and Tiger that got avoided because his back flared up, and they, I believe, should be eternally grateful for Tiger and and thank him because it avoided awkwardness that I just, I think when they got this approved by the pack and approved by the policy board, you may know this, I don't think Tiger had won the, the, the tour championship by the time this had gotten approved. So I think he was still on 79, and they probably thought 82 is not going to happen for a while or may happen and won't happen here. And then he goes out, wins the tour championship, wins Augusta. And while everybody talked 15, now he's at 81. And we've got this really awkward scenario building. He has a poor summer. And now, hello, if he somehow finishes well at the BMW but doesn't get the victory, this could be just brutal, brutal optics. And in my mind, the PGA Tour got lucky. And you should be rewarded for a solid 72 holes. That's just my sense, and they should be thanking Tiger for his back flaring up. I mean, I, I will maintain that it, <clears throat> maybe this is coming from the perspective of somebody who has to give a lot of strokes when he plays golf recreationally, <laughs> but I hate the idea that someone who could start at minus 10 could get credit for winning a tournament in the same fashion that someone who started at even could win the tournament. I realize that they're playing the same 72 holes, mm. but there's no way you can tell me that the players ranked 26th through 30th who started the week at even par looked at this tournament the same way the players in the top five did. It's just And that's fair. Possible. Yeah. So, if you're playing two different tournaments, why, why is Rory McIlroy getting world ranking points to make himself the rich richer and Brooks Kepka, for that matter, rich, richer because you got to start with lots of strokes ahead of guys who aren't as good as you. I mean, that's reverse. But to me, he still won the 72-hole event. I mean, he still had – Rory still had the best week, which is why yeah. he's getting the World Golf ranking points. He's not getting it for winning the FedEx Cup. But, I know, but, but Jeremy, they're playing two different tournaments. Right, yeah. and, and that's where I completely – I'm with you totally that guys who are 26 through 30 have nothing to lose by shooting 77s because they went at every single flagstick because that was their only chance to win $15 million. And that I'm completely with you on that. There's that if, if you're gonna have a a shadow second leaderboard, um, either make it big and bring it out into the public or get rid of it because there's just, to your point, it, it's 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 two separate mindsets. And Justin Thomas even said he had problems with this whole concept of how do I play it with a two shot lead going out. 
it, it, it got into his head. It wasn't sleeping on a lead. It was, I've never started a tournament with a lead already. What do I do? And here's how I will dovetail this into the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is, I think what we've seen from Brooks Kapka, and I'm going to curse, is that his I don't give a fuck attitude has really helped him. And I think one of the reasons why he succeeded at the Tour Championship is that quote that he gave at whatever major that was. I'm, I'm, I'm confused now. I think it was the U.S. Open, where it's like, I go in, and of the 156 guys, half don't have a chance, half don't have the mental makeup, and that leaves like 30 guys I have to beat. I think that was his quote, something like that. Yeah, the PGA, yeah. Yeah, and and thank you, PGA. See, I'm I'm still m- messed up about these major orders. And I think that's why he did good at the Tour Championship. Well, sorry, Mom. Um, because I think he, he came into it with the right mental mindset of playing from the right position to start with because he does that every week and, and, and in every major. I think that's why he succeeded at Eastlake. I just think that that speaks to him now having the 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 big lead helped and he didn't play well enough to win and he'll be the first to say that but i do think that that mindset that he plays with every big event helped him when it came to 15 million dollars being on the line i don't disagree with you i mean he's willing to accept whatever the situation is he's not a head case about playing golf which obviously stands he stands to benefit from that um, you know, it really should, in his mind, it probably wasn't complicated to start a couple behind and a, a, a few players and a, a couple ahead of a lot of players or a lot ahead of a lot of players. It didn't matter to him. You tell me where I start, I'll tell you where I got to finish. So I think that if you have that kind of attitude, you're more accepting of what's going on. You're going to do better in pretty much any situation in life. You just figure out how to adapt and, and do that. But for guys like Rory who think too much and guys like JT who think too much and uh, maybe to their detriment, they put themselves in a situation that was even advantageous and they didn't know how to do it. Like, they already have an advantage. They're better than everybody. And they didn't know what to do with being also told that you are not only better than everybody, but we're going to give you an additional advantage on top of being more talented than everybody. Um, that, that is a little bizarre. Uh, I, I think the normal reaction, frankly, should be Brooks's, which is, cool, I'm in the lead. All right, well, let's just play. And I, I think that players who get around to that point of view do it a little bit better. Um, all I can say is that Rory and Justin Thomas probably are the, are more often than not victims of their own capability. Yeah, They overthink things, that they work through stuff too much. Jordan Spieth does this a lot, too. Well, you just think through things too much instead of realizing the playing gauntlet laid before them that Brooks gets, which is, I can win now. I don't care how I did it. I'm, I, I get the trophy and the money, right? Okay, I'm going to get the trophy and the money. And if you just focus on those two things, whatever it is, then you're going to be successful. It will be interesting to see in subsequent years of this format, because I assume it's not going anywhere, that how guys will learn from either their personal experience or conversing or observing their peers trying to to do this thing and win 15 million bucks. See Jordan Spieth up against the out-of-bounds fence, um, or is that that now known as a boundary fence? 
I'm, I'm, I'm still getting this nomenclature down. Uh, Greensboro 16 on, I think it was Friday. Him having to invent something is where he's succeeding well right now. It's the stock stuff that is causing Jordan Spieth all kinds of problems. And I think that that, sometimes you see that with guys that, that for some, the simpler the shot, Tiger has this occasion. Tiger will sometimes leave the simplest chip shots to six feet instead of two feet. And yet he'll hit some crazy chip shot. You know, look at the one at uh, Riviera this year from around the tree on 11. Or is that 12? 12. Um, and he'll play that perfectly and yet he'll mess up a simple chip. Sometimes when you're forced to change how you do things because of boundaries, trees, water hazards, whatever, sorry, penalty areas, um, you'll play better. And when it's stock stuff, you'll play worse. Um, two last things with you, Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up. And these are two social media hot takes. And I say that the way I said it, because I normally don't talk social media hot take stuff on this show, but I do find this interesting. The first, I believe, is absurd. People got turned off of the tour championship because they were playing for $15 million. Have you come across anybody that that got turned off by playing for $15 million? Because I have not. Um, I'm slightly confused as to why this got so much traction on social media. If you don't like the fact that they're playing for $15 million, call FedEx. Why are you boycotting the event or complaining about the event? That's not the PGA Tour's fault. Yeah, I think that just based on analytics data, um, I'm going to disagree with people that the money on offer was a detriment or a problem to the Tour Championship. Between this year and last year, Golf News Net audience for the tour championship was as high as the PGA championship. Wow. People are interested in people in watching someone play for a boatload of money. Yeah. They just are. And I know that a lot of these guys who are in the top 10 in the world are worth extreme multiples higher than $15 million, but it's still a life changing amount of money for a lot of the players in the field. And it's still considered a life-changing amount of money for pretty much everyone watching. So whether it changes the player in question's life or not, I don't think really matters to whether someone cares about the $15 million. And on top of all of that, if the golf is good, no one cares about, if you don't care about the money, you will care about the good golf. So if this were, I hate to come back to Jason Kokrak, but if this were Jason Kokrak running away with the 15 million bucks and it was non-competitive and nobody the general public cares about was trying to feebly chase him, then the ratings would be horrible and no one would care. But if it's good golf with an interesting twist, people are going to watch it. And it doesn't matter that the money is involved or not. Final thing. The majors were too condensed this year. Things were rushed. I'm slightly confused on this take. Now, I I don't know. Here's how I stand. I don't know how I feel about the current order of the majors. I'm still, um, I still have have not come to a firm firm of of, uh, final opinion on that. 
However, I am confused about the take that they're condensed because the only thing that changed was the position of the players. Does this mean that all the people that are complaining about the, ma- the, the order of the majors and things being too condensed and, or rushed were upset or never thought of the players as, as the fifth major? I, I'm just confused as to why people and some players and Jack and others think things were rushed. I'm, I just don't understand that perspective when literally nothing changed except for the position of the players. I agree with you. And I think, I forget who did the kind of counting of weeks. So I apologize to whoever did it on Twitter. I think it was Will Haskett. I'm sorry? I, I think it was Will Haskett who, uh, um, who so, someone called during this, which, hey, Ryan Ballinger, you know, we're, we're popular people and somebody called during the podcast. This stuff happens. We were talking about the order of the majors things being condensed and the thing that I believe Will Haskett put out there about the the length between majors this year versus last year. Yeah, it basically is a 19-week stretch of the space between the Players' Championship in March this year and the end of the Open in July. And last year and subsequent years, the Masters to the end of the PGA Championship was also... 19 weeks. So you're not going to not play the players. And I don't care if you think it's a major or not, you're going to compete in it if you're eligible, which means you're competing in all five tournaments. That is the major season, whatever you think of the moniker of season of championships. So there's no difference. You just bumped everything up four weeks or whatever it was, which is fine. There's no problem with that. I realize that, and I think that, the the gripe should not from the players be that the major season is more compact because that's a lie, but rather the events around the major season make it more difficult because you have a swing in Asia now that top players just simply cannot ignore. You have a tournament in Japan. You have a tournament. We had one in Kuala Lumpur that's replaced by one in Japan. You have one in China. You have one in Korea. They all have effectively an average of $10 million purses, and there's no cut. There's no reason you shouldn't play in one, two, or three of them. Guaranteed FedEx Cup points. That's the big thing. FedEx Cup points, pretty much free world ranking points, and free money. You, everybody would take that up. And if you don't want to play in those, and you're a European tour member... The final series on the European tour is worth a boatload of money. It's worth even more now. So you have no reason not to play those. So now you have tournaments, at least a half dozen tournaments to care about in October and November. All the World Golf Championships are worth $10 million or more. You weren't skipping those to begin with, but now you have two basically back-to-back months in short order with the Mexico Championship and the match play championship. That's the problem. It's hard to skip Memphis. Because, again, it's a boatload of money, and it leads right into the playoffs. Why would you not take free money and go play that? I realize that's moved because of the Olympic year. This year, we're going to have the Olympics to care about. That's another one. And people are going to have the made-up excuse of Zika to skip it. Exactly. It's going to be, yeah, I mean, if you qualify for that, unless, you know, God forbid something horrible happens, there's no excuse. Right. you got to play those. Now Riviera is an invitational worth about $10 million. 
and, and a three-year exemption. And you get a three-year exemption. Add that to Jack and Arnie tournaments, which are worth close to $10 million with a three-year exemption. And we, we've just talked about 20 tournaments, and we haven't even gotten to the ones that the guys kind of like to pet, play for pet reasons. We haven't gotten to the Tournament of Champions, Pebble Beach, Tory, Phoenix, one the one you like that's closest to your house in Florida, yes. the one that's where you grew up. Now we're in 25 tournaments. Yeah. We're already there. And you got to play at least one other one in the fall, probably, unless you, you know, ball out in the Asian event. So you're, you've already made a huge schedule for yourself, committed half the year. No wonder you're more tired. You used to be able to get away with 20 events if you were a top player. Now you can't. It's just not plausible with the money that's out there and the points that are out there. World ranking in FedEx. So you've got to play more. That's why these guys are tired, because they're playing so much more golf around the majors, not the majors themselves. And I'm so glad you brought that up, because the, it, it's the World Golf Championship events, and Mexico and Austin being where they are, they really need to separate them, yet there's no taking the... There's no putting the... Whatever that analogy is, the thing back in the hat, whatever that uh, uh, analogy is. Sorry, any... Um, English teachers out there for completely botching that cat out of the bag, whatever the case is. Um, no, that's the wrong analogy. Whatever, uh, wrong saying. Um, it, it does get tough for these guys, and at the same time, you're asking everybody to support these little events: Minnesota, Detroit, um, Houston, Valspar. The list goes on, and Brant Packer, Golf Channel producer, has told me time and time again, my club is one of the best weeks all year, and I don't understand why these guys don't go to that event in the fall. And every guy who goes to that event in the fall, look at Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth, come up to me or a tour official and say time and time again, this event is amazing. Now, it got a whole lot of headlines this this year for the Matt Kuchar caddy fiasco, but that's what it's known for within the tour. And Brant has told me this multiple times. I don't get why more people don't play Mayakoba. So there's another event to add to the long list. And to your point, I think it's this. I you know Jeff Shackelford always talks about contraction, and I don't know if it's contraction. American Express just signed on to be the new sponsor of the Bob Hope, so that event's not going away anytime soon. There's an off week in the fall because of the Steph Curry Open not occurring. Uh, there's a whole lot of people who are going to be thankful for that. And you've got, if you look towards 2020, this U.S. President's Cup team that's got to keep playing golf in the fall to be sharp for Tiger because they all worship Tiger and they don't want to lose in Australia in December because that would offend their hero. So, yeah, it is a lot of golf. And I do understand where some of the tiredness or exhaustion is coming from, I don't understand the complaint about the placement of the majors. That, to me, just makes no sense. Yeah, I, I think that, that they, they have a point, but the point, they're not getting the point. Yeah. They, under, they know they're tired. Yes. They're blaming the wrong thing. And I, I think if they just, if, and there really isn't much that they, the tour can do about that. The, the tour is doing their job. They are creating high-paying playing opportunities for players almost every week. And especially for the Corn Ferry Tour grads. 
like the American Express involvement with the Desert Classic. That tournament's purse is one of the few on the PGA Tour is still under $6 million. It's not an opposite field event. I can assure you that's going to change. Yeah. There's no way American Express is putting their name on the least valuable tournament on the PGA Tour. So all of these events, they're, they're at least $7 million, $7.5 million. Greenbrier's $7.5 million. They can't even afford to pay the PGA Tour for the fee that it costs to be a sponsor. They couldn't do that one year. They're still paying that back further in the fall. They're offering a $7.5 million purse. So that's ridiculous money. You can't ignore it if you're a top player. I know they make a lot of money, but you can't ignore that kind of money. No, you absolutely cannot ignore that kind of money. We could talk about this all day, including uh, how the U.S. President's Cup team has a rash of, of arthroscopic knee surgeries going on right now. This needs to end immediately. Um, but unfortunately, we can't podcast for three hours because that would eat into your valuable time. And you've got to be a father later today. And I just can't have you for three hours as much as I would love to have you for three hours. I would, uh, I would be a raving lunatic by hour two. I got to keep... Keep the golf takes in check. <laughs> there you go. Ryan Ballinger, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I really appreciate it.